Miguel Aziz's first goal for Portsmouth. Into the path of Smithrow, into the box. Smithrow scores! A really deserved first goal in Huddersfield Town Colours. Ethan Winery makes his debut at 15 years old for Arsenal's first team, becoming the youngest outfield first team player for Arsenal, the youngest player in Premier League history, and just cannot imagine what a moment it was for him and his family. Obviously a huge moment for Hale End, a supreme talent, and just unbelievable thing to witness uh, to end an unbelievable weekend. Arsenal obviously come away with the victory, dominate Brentford away from home, something we, many of us, did not expect to see, especially after the disappointment of last year's fixture at Brentford. But wow, what a performance. And again, Ethan Nwaneri, unbelievable for him to get his debut. It was unbelievable for a 15-year-old to get their under-21s debut just two weeks ago. And here we are talking about him playing with the first team Unbelievable talent, just to give you a little bit of a scoop on what he's like as a player. He's really an attacking midfielder, unclear exactly where in midfield it will suit him best, depending on how his physical attributes continue to grow, but he really plays mostly as an advanced midfielder, an attacking role, receiving the ball on the turn, looking up, finding players in front of him. He has played up top as a striker because he seems to be able to find the back of the net Unbelievable tactical awareness, excellent technical skill, great dribbler, can pass and finish with both feet, and just seems like he has a supreme attitude about the game. Really, truly an unbelievable moment for him. Obviously, a lot of this has to do with Arsenal really hoping that they can sign him to a scholarship when he turns 16, and so that he'll stay at Hale End. The likes of Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool, Chelsea, all after his signature. Obviously a major, major talent, and this was a stepping stone on getting him to believe in Arsenal's future, to believe that he can be a part of that future, and that his future is not so far off. Think about Saka making it into the first team at 17, 18, becoming one of the best players in the squad. We're talking about two or three years here for Ethan Nguyenary, and if this was any sign for him, it's that Arsenal see a clear first-team path for him. I mean, I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised if in two and a half years he is playing regularly in cup games and whatnot for Arsenal. He's an unbelievable talent. Scouts all across Europe have come to watch him and are hoping to get his signature another year before he signs his scholarship. So we're hoping that'll happen at Hale End. But an unbelievable player. For those who have watched him previously, he is a goal and assist phenom. He, on his under-18s debut, he had two assists to James... I'm sorry, to Matthias Roberts, uh, one from the half space was an absolutely beautiful curling ball that curled right over two center backs, right to Roberts for to head it home, and another one on a lovely through ball to Roberts to, to tap it into the bottom right corner. On his under-21s debut just a couple weeks ago, he had a lovely assist over the top. He knows how to wait a pass. He knows how to dribble past a defender, and again, he's an excellent finisher of the ball, and he has played quite a bit up top because of it. Uh, if some of you remember, I mentioned him early on in this season uh, when Jack Wilshire was named as the under-18s head coach because Ranieri has posted a picture of him as a 6, 7, 8-year-old with Jack Wilshire when Wilshire was still playing for the club. And I think that was a big move in getting Ranieri to potentially stay at Hale End. He believes in Wilshire. Uh, a lot of people see him as someone who can surpass Wilshire and Fabregas's legacy uh, as people who came out of Hale End. So I think that was another key aspect in keeping Nuneri around for as long as possible. 
Uh, but again, unbelievable moment for him uh, this past weekend and this past week. My apologies for skipping the episode. Uh, some some big news in my personal life, um, and so had to take a week off. But we're back. And, and first and foremost, Miguel Aziz makes his debut uh, for Ibiza on loan in the second division uh, of the Spanish football pyramid. And, you know, he played 14 minutes and a 1-0 win over Tenerife, uh, 5 of 9 passing. He won both of his ground duels. Uh, he won a couple of tackles, and he played mostly as a left-sided midfielder. So there's been a lot of heavy debate around whether Aziz's future is as a 6 or as an 8. It's been pretty clear that Per Mertesacker and other people at the academy have wanted to convert Aziz into a 6, and it just doesn't seem like he has the right physical traits to do that. He's an too good of an advanced midfielder as well in terms of his passing ability, his dribbling ability. It would be kind of a, a real bummer to restrain him to playing at the base of a midfield. Uh, and he's not doing that here. So that kind of shows as a sign to me that they're moving past that. They're ready to see Aziz as an eight moving forward. And that's where he played uh, for Ibiza on his debut. Had a beautiful turn in midfield, receiving the ball in the halfway line, taking out a defender. Uh, he put a nice ball into the box for his attackers to run onto. Uh, but they didn't see it. But he's he's looking forward. He's looking progressive. Um, he has the ability to be a volume passer. Like, if you remember a lot of the time, Joe Willock, uh, I think who people compare him to, was not a very good volume passer. He was more uh, of an aggressor, someone who picked the ball up on the dribble and pushed forward, more like a Smith Rowe in ways. And Aziz is, is happy to sit in midfield and pick passes out, play sideways when necessary, but also has that ability to play in the half spaces, has the ability uh, to pick out a runner. Uh, he After this match, uh, he played 80 minutes against Oviedo in a 1-0 win. Obviously, Marcelo Flores on that Oviedo side. Uh, and Aziz was great in his full debut uh, for Ibiza. He was 12 of 14 passing. Uh, both of his long balls were converted. Won his only ground duel, an interception and a tackle, again in this left-center mid role. Uh, and he read the game really well here. He, he was often interrupting play, winning the ball back, uh, whether or not he actually did winning the ball back, just getting a foot in, preventing easy passes in the midfield, really kind of holding that structure and position in the formation. He actually took corner kicks for them in this match, which shows you what they think of him technically as a player and in his passing range. Uh, and he did what he does best, which is looking to start counterattacks with his unbelievably wide range of passing. Uh, he's happy to receive the ball, you know, kind of playing out of the press or, or after the opposition has kind of possession, receive the ball on his own third and immediately gets his head up to see who's in front of him. Uh, and he did that a few times in this match, kind of launching Ibiza into a counterattack. Uh, and he did have a couple of really nice crosses right on the six-yard box that nobody got onto. But there were some people jumping that, you know, if they got their head to that, would have been an easy goal. But again, great to see Aziz after his kind of failed loan last year at Portsmouth. Uh, where he wasn't playing in the right position, he wasn't getting a lot of playing time. It looks like Ibiza is happy to have Aziz playing and starting uh, in his preferred position. And keep in mind, he's a dual nationality Spaniard, so he actually speaks the language, which is going to help him a lot uh, in La Liga too. And, and I, I expect to see him to continue starting. Charlie Patino finally makes his long-awaited return from that injury that we all saw, obviously rolling his ankle, continue to play that half, uh, lateral ankle sprain, but... Ended up having to miss quite a few matches because of it. Returned from injury uh, to play 24 minutes a couple of weeks ago in midfield in a 3-0 loss to Rotherham. Uh, he was 12 of 15 passing, one of one long balls. Uh, he won two duels and a tackle. And just getting to watch him again was awesome because he's just so elegant. Uh, he The way he opens his body when he receives the ball is like 
nothing that you see at this level, especially at the championship, and it's not something that every midfielder knows how to do. It allows Patino to kind of play around the defender who's closing down with, with such an ease because he will kind of body faint one way. You know, the defender's reading that, trying to read where the game's going to be played, and his ability to kind of laterally move with the ball as it comes by him and shield it without even touching it allows him to take one big first touch when he's already gotten up to top speed and get around a player. Uh, it's really a beautiful thing to see. I'm happy to see he was confident immediately coming back from injury. He then returned to the starting lineup a week later in a 2-1 loss to Millwall, uh, playing 89 minutes. But he did score his first goal for Blackpool, which is a huge moment for him. It was a really nice team play. Uh, A lot of one-touch passing, which finished with Charlie Patino just kind of passing it by the keeper. Smart finish. He just kind of hit it hard and pretty much kind of right at him, but with a little bit of, of height to it. And then the keeper just only could get a hand to it, but it still went into the back of the net. And this was another just solid performance from him. He really may be the best midfielder in the championship, which is crazy to say about an 18-year-old. But he's just so calm. He's so smooth. He's such an amazing volume passer. Another player who's a volume passer, a left-sided eight, although he pops up kind of all over the pitch uh, because he is kind of so happy to dictate play and, and be the guy who runs the team, runs the, the attack. He wants to pass it and then pick it up again in another space, pass it and find another space. Uh, 42 of 52 passing. Uh, he only won one out of his nine duels in this match. I do think sometimes we see with young players, uh, if you remember with Brooke Norton Cuffey last year, when they come back from injury, they are a little bit more tentative uh, into going into challenges. That's natural. Uh, he was 0 of 3 on dribble successful and did pick up a yellow card a little late to a challenge. Uh, but... Again, the passing and the ability on the ball is what makes Charlie Bettino such a special player. And a lot of people clamoring for him to be a lone six as well, Partey's replacement, but that's just not it. Uh, That's not where he would be most uh, effective. He is a left-sided eight, a volume passer. He's Jakob with tons more ability and potential uh, for the future. He plays in the half spaces with such ease. And and he just seemingly glides around the pitch, past opposition, retaining possession, never worried about the press, always knowing where the defenders are. Uh, and his drop of the shoulder, as I mentioned, is just is supreme. It's really just something else that you don't see. It's in, the intuition that he has is unteachable. Um, and, you know, he, his assist numbers, his key pass numbers would be higher if his teammates would make the run that he knows is a, a potential run. He, there were two passes in particular in this match that he played into space for his teammates that would have at least led to a cross or a shot in which both times the teammate hesitated to make that run, looked at the run, decided not to make it because they didn't believe a pass could actually make it to them there. And both times Patino put it on that spot uh, and was not rewarded for it. But huge to have Charlie Patino back in the lineup. And of course, when he played Rotherham, he was on the pitch with Brooke Doran Cuffey for the first time since 2021 in December in the FA Youth Cup when the under-18s lost 3-0 to Colchester. Brooke Norton Cuffey in that match with Blackpool in the 3-0 win for Rotherham. He played 81 minutes at right wing back. And I'm just so pleased to see how good he's been defensively and how well he has transformed his ability to read the game, his ability to understand space defensively, and nothing gets by him. He wins the ball back and nothing gets by him. He's not scared to go side-by-side with an attacker and and go stride-for-stride with them because he knows he's not going to get beaten physically. He knows he's not going to get beaten pace-wise. And it's just been fantastic to watch how much more confidence he has on defense than I really ever saw him 
in the under-23s. If you recall, my biggest worry with him has always been his ability to stay in position and, and understand when to pick up a man, when to take a man on, when to go into a tackle, and he's really gotten much better at that. The surprising thing is his delivery, which had been so great for the better part of the last year and a half, it really needs to improve. It's not the standard that it had been previously. It almost feels like sometimes he's rushing a cross-off, even when he has the time, when he's already beaten a defender or he's in space. In this match, he was 11 of 18 passing, 3 of 6 on long balls, 1 successful dribble. He won 6 duels, 3 tackles, was not dribbled past. But the crosses, as I mentioned, are just too often they're hitting the first man. That's just too loose. Um, it's good to see that he's happy to cross with both feet and he has the ability to. But those crosses have to make it on the 6-yard line, past the penalty spot almost every time unless you're picking a man out. And it just doesn't seem like he's doing that. And it was something he was so good at earlier. He was great at early crossing, kind of on that corner part of the box near the sideline. Really was so good at it. I think a lot of it kind of does have to do with Rotherham don't really have late runners into the box. They also aren't really playing on the counter in, in a very effective way, which is where Brick Norton Cuffey is really good at sending crosses in. But uh, again, a little confused by his disappointing crosses so far, but it'll get better. He, he's seeing a lot of the ball and, and trying to do what he can with it when he has it. Uh, I would also say that I'd like to see him use that inside dribbling technique a little bit more often. Uh, he loves to bring it down the wing, and, and he often bombs it past defenders, but when he can cut in and, and bring a defender with him inside, it opens up a lot of space for the, the team and, and the chance for him to score goals on his own and, and to get you know easier assists rather than crossing it, just bring it in to the inside of the pitch and, and find a striker there. Uh, he did go down in this match with an injury, uh, it seemed like some sort of muscular injury. Uh, he was able to get up and play another five, six minutes uh, before coming off as a precaution. But then later in the week, 81 minutes against Middlebrough in their next match in a nil-nil draw. So that injury clearly did not hamper him. Might have just been a cramp. It wasn't really clear exactly what happened. Uh, in this match with Burrow, he was 10 of 18 passing, one successful dribble, two ground duels, one out of four. Uh, was actually fouled once and again was not dribbled past. Uh it's amazing, again, his defensive qualities, and, and he just is so confident at this point that no one's going to get by him. And when he does go stride for stride, he's able to time perfectly when to go shoulder for shoulder and just use his physicality to win the ball back and regain possession. And again, use that left-footed passing ability that we talk about so much to open up the wing for himself and open up the counterattack and open up the counter press uh, and, and beating the press and launching his team forward. And... A lot of times defenders are now expecting him to make that left-footed pass infield, which you cannot allow if you're you know, pressing. You don't want that pass, which is allowing him to switch it back onto his right foot and just bomb it past the defender because he can go past anyone the same way he doesn't let anyone past him. Uh, he had a lovely play in a 1v1 uh, near the end line in the corner where he healed chopped through two defenders, got a nice cross in from deep inside the box, dribbled deep inside the box, just outside the six-yard box. Uh, and the cross, unfortunately, went out for a corner, but this was a very nice and aggressive play. Good to see him happy to take a defender on. Good to see him pushing into the box with his speed and technical ability, and he just looks so dangerous on the ball every time he gets it. A bunch of nice dribbles in this match, a bunch of times getting around players, but again, the crossing needs to get more consistent, and he needs to start picking out a man because at this point, he's just spamming it a little bit. He needs to get more comfortable with what he's used to. He's really nice at making that early cross right on the six-yard box, kind of that medium to low-level cross that bounces in there and is hard to defend. He needs to get back to that to start, and then the, the assist will start coming.
Goals and assists have been pouring in for Flo Balagoon, as we know, playing twice over this little period, 90 minutes, first in a 1-0 loss to Tulis. Uh, get a shot on target, one off and two blocked. Uh, one of three dribbling, 16 of 23 passing, won four ground duels, and was fouled three times. Something I've been really impressed by with Flo is his aggression dribbling and with the, feet, the ball at his feet and willing to get fouled to help his team regain possession. I feel like that's such an important thing for a center forward and something we didn't see a lot of from Flo previously, but he's really found himself a little bit more comfortable with his back to goal, which has allowed him to be more physical, which has allowed him to be a bigger presence in the middle of the park. And he's been popping up all over the pitch, unfortunately unable to score a goal in this match. But again, he got fouled a few times. The link-up play looks really great. He looks confident as a dribbler. These are important things for Flo, not just the goals. The goals and assists are great, and they're coming, and we see that he's able to do that. But he's really rounded himself out quite well. And this was, you know, unfortunately he didn't score, but he did shoot the ball four times. He was in the right areas. The goals will come when you do that. Uh, he then played 90 minutes in a 3-0 loss to Monaco, uh, where, he, again, even more involved passing. I mean, if you recall with Burrow and even... Earlier in this season, he was maybe having 10 or 12 completed passes in a match. This is back-to-back -back matches with 15-plus completed passes on a 75 to 80% clip. Uh, 15 to 20 passing here. He had a key pass. Uh, he won three ground duels. He was fouled twice in this match with Monaco. And he also was fouled in the box early on, like second, third minute. But for some reason, didn't go to VAR and he wasn't awarded a penalty. But it was clear as day that it was a foul. Uh, again, got his man pinned. Another man came in and he kind of pushed the ball away with his foot to, to draw the foul and, and find himself space if he wasn't going to get fouled. Got taken out right at the below the kneecap. Didn't get a foul call. Uh, and he actually scored a headed goal off of a rebound off of a corner kick, but unfortunately was just offside. But otherwise, a very solid match from Flo here. He had a very lovely key pass leading to a shot. He's looking for teammates and also looking to score, which is all you can ask for in a center forward. In other news for Reims, five red cards in eight matches so far in the league, which is bizarre. I mean, Flo has been playing down a man in all but three matches. Like, it's impressive the goal and assist numbers that he's gotten and the ability that he's gotten to be on the ball when his team's literally been playing a down a man for more than half the season. After the little bizarre blip in Marcelo Flores' development and, and playing here at Oviedo, uh, he was back and playing this week, playing twice, uh, he didn't play against Levante, as I mentioned, which was very strange. But he played 12 minutes in a nil-nil draw with Burgos, uh, where he was 8 of 10 passing, 1 of 1 on long balls. He made a really nice play for a 1-2 uh, with his teammate, but got a terrible return pass that would have seen him pretty much through in on goal. Uh, he did earn his team a corner with some very neat dribbling skills, uh, popping it over a defender, then back over his head again, and, and getting into the box and putting a cross in. Uh, and he had the ball in the box one other time, where I thought he could have been a little more aggressive going towards net. He usually, I've seen him in that area, kind of coming in off the corner, shoot with his strong foot to the far post. I would have liked to see him do that there. Uh, but I think he's a little wary of losing possession because obviously he was not played in that match with Levante. He doesn't want to lose his spot in the side. Uh, but then he got to play even more in the next match. 26 minutes and a window loss to Ibiza, the match I mentioned uh, with Miguel Aziz where this was the Marcelo Flores that we've kind of wanted to see the last few weeks. 13 of 14 passing, 3 of 3 on long balls, a big chance created and a key pass. Uh, he won 4 or 5 ground duels, he was fouled twice, and won 2 tackles. He got his aggression back in this match. He got 
on the ball early and made something happen early, and it, then he became a little bit more unstoppable. He started bouncing off of players, driving towards the net, looking for his man uh, in the box. Uh, the only time he did lose the ball, he won it right back. Uh, he, this first burst that he has allows him to create things from nothing and draw fouls because he either is getting around a defender with that burst and he's home free, or defenders are taking him out and taking a yellow card because they're not going to catch him once he gets that first dribble by them. Uh, he won one of the the second foul that he won uh, was near the uh, sideline, probably about 30 yards out, 40 yards out from the box, and he played a free kick, curling effort in swinger, beautiful. And I would say three or four teammates, all they had to do was get a foot to it and would have gone in. Uh, went all the way to the back guy furthest at the back post and hit his head and went out of play. That was the big chance that he created. Um, and unfortunately for Marcelo Flores, he didn't make the Mexico squad for this break, uh, which I think is going to make it really hard for him to make the World Cup. But, you know, there are positives and negatives to that. That'll mean he'll be fresh. He won't miss out on club football uh, when the World Cup ends. And a lot of players potentially could be tired or whatever it might be. Uh, he'll be, you know, he wasn't away. He won't have trained anywhere else. He'll have trained at home, gotten more comfortable being at Oviedo, right? If he was at the World Cup for six weeks, you'd have to think it'd be hard for him to get back into the Oviedo side when he gets home, considering how few people at Oviedo will be at the World Cup. So obviously a bit of a negative for him. Something he was really hoping for was to be at that World Cup. And it's not impossible, but with no goals and assists so far this year and not making the Mexico squad for the final international break before the World Cup, I think it's hard to think that Marcelo Flores will get the call up. But we never rule anything out. And, you know, it's good to see him getting more playing time and looking more aggressive and comfortable like he was early in the season. It's going to be ups and downs. His first, you know, bout with senior football, it's not going to be, you know, easy peasy the whole time. Tyrese John Jules is no stranger to senior football, but he is a little bit of a stranger to getting this much action without injury and without a benching. Uh, He played quite a few matches here uh, this week. 21 minutes at left forward in a 2-0 win over Bristol Rovers. Uh, he was 6 of 9 passing, 2 shots off target in just 20 minutes, and won 2 duels. Uh, he had a really nice play receiving the ball, kind of between 4 opponents. He was strong on the ball to keep possession against 1. Then he passed back to his left back and made a run down the line uh, where his left back found him. Then upon receiving the ball, he felt the defender closing in and poked it past the defender, tried to use his pace to get around him, and the defender basically form-tackled him uh, to prevent Tyrese from being in on goal and, and got the defender on a yellow it's good to see him do that kind of stuff going forward. Tyrese John Jules we know is good as a center forward in Lincoln play. We know he has the passing ability. We know he knows how to find a teammate. But it's good to see him trusting himself to get past a defender. Uh, and, you know, him and Harness are just competing for this left forward spot, kind of going back and forth. Ipswich still unbeaten in the league. You can't complain with the kind of the ability of their squad right now. They're by far the best team in League One. He's getting to play with some, some other solid players. And the competition is good means he has to work hard and continue to try and find his way into that starting 11. And being aggressive like he was in this cameo is his best chance at that. Uh, He then got to play as a starter 69 minutes in a 2-2 draw with Sheffield Wednesday, which was not his best match. Uh, He was way too loose with the ball. The aggression part is good. He was popping up all over the pitch to gain possession, was trying to be uh, aggressive, as I mentioned. Uh, But this match just wasn't all that positive for him. Only 8 of 16 passing. Lost all 8 of the duels, aerial and ground, that he was involved in. I think it's been a lot of matches for him for the first time in his career. Uh, I think he's getting a little frustrated. The goals haven't been coming. That He wants to make the most of every opportunity. And not, you know, 
Not his best match, and I would have thought that that would have seen him start in the EFL Trophy match with the Arsenal under-21s, because usually that's when they'll play their second team. But it was actually good to see that he was on the bench, uh, which means he'll probably be back in the starting lineup uh, as soon as Ipswich return uh, in League One. 25 minutes for him in this match and a 2-0 win for them. Arsenal under-21s now out of the EFL Trophy. Uh, But a a really nice overall match for him. One of one on dribbles, uh, shot on target, 15 of 18 passing. Uh, Obviously, funny to see him playing against Hale End players, uh, a squad that he knows very, very well. They had some nice moments before and after the game. Saw him chatting with uh, Catalan Sirjan. But number one, good for Ipswich to move on in this competition. Uh, We saw Jordi Osei Tutu win this competition last year. Uh, So, you know, anytime you can play in cup exhibitions and cup um, tournament, it's it's good experience. It's a completely different style of football. Knockout football is not the same, uh, and they should progress out of the group stage now. Arsenal under 21s, all they need to do is beat Northampton, and they will be through as well. Top two teams in the group go through in the EFL Trophy. Uh, they could theoretically get a point uh, if Ipswich were to beat the other team in the group, so we shall see what happens there. Uh, but like to see the Arsenal under 21s also progress. Uh, Tim Akinola played the final 31 minutes in Chesterfield's 3-2 win over Southend United. Uh, he came on with Chesterfield down a man, and he put an absolute shift in. Um, he was helpful in breaking down Southend's attack. Uh, he didn't make it easy for them to play through, and the fans on Twitter were wanting Akinola to win man of the match. They wanted him to have his own song. They were delighted to see him. He honestly reminded me a lot of the way... Dundee fans fell after Akinola's first substitute appearance for them. He was aggressive. He was trying to make things happen. He was a real kind of fork in the opposition's attack. And they were kind of clamoring for him in the future. Obviously, we all know he never played again for Dundee after that 45 minutes. And then he didn't see the pitching at Zeoville Town for Chesterfield in their 2-2 draw the next week. So I don't know if it's the Tim Akinola curse or what the situation is, but the guy can't seem to get consistent minutes, which just doesn't seem right to me. He is an aggressive player, but in a good way for most of the time, and this is why he's on loan at such a lower side, is to kind of learn how to use that aggression for good. Uh, Going up one level to League 2, Arthur Okonkwo had a very nice week this week. He looked a lot more comfortable. Uh, 1-1 draw with Hartlepool. He made four saves, three of those coming from shots inside the box, two punches, and his distribution continues to get better. 23 of 31 passing, 6 of 14 on long balls. Uh, He did make a slight error to concede a corner, uh, but then he made an excellent high claim off of that corner, punching it away. But unfortunately, then his teammate was messing around with the ball in the box after Okonkwo punched it out. His teammate kind of picked it up on the edge of the box. And I don't know what he was trying to do, dribble around an opposition, but gave the ball away and immediately gave away a penalty, uh, which was unsavable, went into the top netting. Later in the match, Okonkwo made an excellent reflex save off of a cross into the box on a hard low shot, gathered it so there was no rebound and no way for Hartlepool to score a second. So, you know, he gave up one goal in this match, but really off of a penalty that nothing he could have done about. So a really nice match for Okonkwo. And then he had a clean sheet against Betsy's Crawley Town in a 1-0 win. Uh, he had two saves from inside the box in this match, a punch, 19 of 24 passing and 8 of 13 on long balls. The, the distribution, as I mentioned, it's literally night and day from the beginning of the season. I think a lot of it is similar to his positioning I was mentioning earlier in the season that seemed a little bit wavering, like he just was never in the right place. I think Okonkwo 
he just looks more comfortable. He's happy to have the ball played back to him. He'll stand on the edge of the box, pick out a teammate. You know, he he's a couple times found that clipped ball over to a wing back, which is what you need in modern football as a goalkeeper. So it's great to see him getting better in that regard. We know he knows how to make reflex saves and those types of things with being such a big body. Uh, in other goalie news, Ovi Ejahiri made his return from injury, had a stellar match to keep a clean sheet against Oxford City. Uh, again, fans on Twitter wanting him to be man of the match. He had seven saves. Many were from close range or tricky shots with spin. Uh, it was unbelievable uh, for him to keep that clean sheet. Uh, he's been excellent all season for Chelmsford. He really has been probably their best player, as far as I can tell. Uh, and then he was on the bench for Chelmsford's FA Cup matches. He's been kind of switching out in cup competitions. Uh, speaking of cup competitions, Mazita Gungbo had a rough go of it in the EFL Trophy this week, uh, picking up a red card 28 minutes in. Uh, it was just kind of a mistake, honestly. It was just a, a young player's mistake. Ball was played to him in the middle of the box. He let it run and slipped, and he had a you know opposition attacker in the box coming onto it, and he just reached his hand out and grabbed the ball so the opponent wouldn't have an easy tap-in. Uh, and easy red card, obvious red card. Uh, in that 28 minutes, he had three interceptions. He won an aerial duel, one out of one, and eight of ten passing. He had a nice start to the game after not previously playing in the two two previous matches. He was on the bench in a 1-0 loss to Crew, uh, and he only played nine minutes in a 3-2 win over Stockport County. So this was kind of his opportunity to get back into the 11. You feel bad about what happened. Betsy trusts him. I, I think after the suspension, he'll be back in the side, but... You know, brutal for a gungbo. Just he—he he was really upset. I felt really bad for him. The, you know, the second it happened, put his head over his—you know—his shirt over his head and and his hands and head. And honestly, his teammates didn't really comfort him too much. Uh, I think you know, League Two is a little bit different in terms of who's in the squad. But a, a real unfortunate moment for Mazid. Uh, Alex Kirk. Uh, speaking of other defenders, his first match was postponed due to the Queen's passing. Uh, then was on the bench for a three-two loss to Wraith Rovers. And for the first match in four, he did not play, and our United lost. They need him back in the 11th. They were unbeaten with him in there. So I don't know why he was benched, but there you go. Uh, staying in Scotland, Ryan Alabiosu, uh, their first, Kilmarnock's first match was postponed due to the Queen's passing as well. Uh, but then he played 90 minutes in a 1-0 loss to Livingston, and... Probably was his best performance of the season, at least his best performance from that debut 45 minutes where he was just super confident. But this was, I mean, the stats on this, you can't believe he did this all in one match. Uh, and just seeing it, it, it was unbelievable. I mean, like, if you were to make a comp of his match, it would be almost 10 minutes long. Like, he was on the ball all match or making defensive plays all match. 25 of 31 passing, a completed cross, 3 of 4 on long balls, 3 of 4 dribbles successful, 9 of 12 ground duels won. He was fouled three times, he had two clearances, an interception, he won three tackles, and he was not dribbled past. The word I would describe for this performance was powerful. He was powerful on the ball, he was powerful in defense, he was powerful in his intentions. Uh... The wingers simply couldn't handle him, who were matched up with him. Obviously, with that five in the back that Kilmarnock plays, oftentimes they get that overloaded or that 2v2 going forward, which allows Alabiosa to go up against a winger. And this happened a lot in this match, and he was too fast and too strong for them. Uh, one thing he did, which surprised me, and I don't see him do this a lot, is that kind of thing we talked with Brooke Norton Cuffey with that infield left-footed pass. And if Alabiosa adds that, 
to his game. That'll make him a little bit more dynamic. Uh, it'll it'll give him a little bit more of an advantage versus the way other right wing backs play, who are single handed going down the wing, bombing down the wing. That's all they got. Bombing and crossing really would change kind of how he plays. Uh, as well as, you know, a couple of times I've mentioned I've seen him dribble inside and, and use his power that way. If he has that left-footed pass, you're going to see more of that too. So it opens up a lot more routes for him and a lot more lanes for him and makes him an even more attractive player. Um, as I said, he is really starting to realize his pace and power and his, the confidence he needs to be playing with and that he can take risks going forward and he can also take risks defensively. He can try and win the ball high up the pitch because he'll be able to track back. He'll be able to use his strength to get inside position again. Uh, and at a certain point, the defenders on the other team realized they just had to kick him and push him to the ground in order to stop him from getting past them and, and getting you know dangerous balls into the box. The question now for Alabiosu is, when do those assist numbers that we are seeing at the lower levels start to creep back up? Obviously, some of that has to do with who he's playing with, the dynamic of the team, the lack of possession that Kamarnock seemed to be having this year. But at a certain point, you need end product when you're playing as a right wing back in the modern game. That's just a fact. Similar thing we're talking to Brooke Norton Cuffey. We need to see better end product. But it'll come. The more he's powerful and the more he's pacey and the further he gets into more attacking positions, eventually end product will have to come. Going from Scotland now over to the Netherlands, we have some good news and we have some not-so-good news. We'll start with the not-so-good news, which is Omar Rekik again is an unused substitute twice for Sparta Rotterdam in a 3-0 loss to Feyenoord uh, and, and a win against Groningen, which is very worrying. But he did feature for Sparta Rotterdam's youth side uh, against Quick Boys, and as expected, he was everywhere. Eight interceptions, 14 recoveries, four clearances. He had 18 passes. Let me say that again. 18 passes into the final third with 78% passing accuracy. Okay, this is exactly what I've been talking about with Omar Rekik since this lone move started. He is exactly the profile of the Dutch league defenders. He's comfortable on the ball. He will dribble into your final third. He will pass into your final third. He is an attacking center back, which is not a real thing, but I'm making it one when it comes to Omar Rekik. He reminds me of the way Davinson Sanchez played when he was at Ajax. He will dribble past midfielders. He will pass the ball with either foot into the box to his attackers on the wing, whatever it takes. I just can't understand why he is not playing for Sparta Rotterdam. I would assume a recall will happen in January, and he'll get sent out somewhere else. But the good news for him is he has been called up to the Tunisia squad for a friendly with Brazil. Hopefully he'll get to play there to get some sort of senior experience. But the good news in the Netherlands is Mika Biarev finally made his return. First to the matchday squad in a 1-0 loss to PSV where he did not play. But then he made his debut a week later, 19 minutes at striker in a 5-1 win against Camber. He had a shot on target. He was one of two passing. He nearly scored on his third touch of the game with a very powerful header from the penalty spot. The keeper just got finger sips to it to touch it over the bar. And he won his team a corner on a different event with a nice run and attempted cross. Mika Biarith is so back. He looked so comfortable and healthy. I expect him back in the starting 11 for Walwick. I'm very excited. He was so fun to watch in preseason. Let's see him get back out there. Uh, there are obviously still some guys who are injured on loan, but that list has gotten smaller, which is good. Harry Clark's still out injured. 
Salah Uladam Hand and Dean still out injured, hopefully going to be back after the international break. I think that's the belief with Harry Clark as well. Nikolai Moeller missed out on the match. Three matches now. Back with that foot injury. Uh, again, looking to get an update on him, but I would hope that that'll mean after the international break he's back. And Tom Smith still not featured for Bromley. Uh, in terms of our Hail Enders representing their countries, we have soccer in Ramsdale with the national team. Ramsdale, I guess, obviously not a Hail Ender. Uh, but just since soccer's there, going to mention Ramsdale with the English national team. Balagoon representing the under-21s. Patino and Norton Cuffey, who got to play on the same pitch just a week ago, are going to get to play together for the under-20s. Uh, Mario Cozier Dewberry and Lino Sousa representing the under-18s, which is very exciting. I can't wait to watch them. Then we got James Sweet getting his first Wales under-21 call-up. Carl Hine got an Estonian national team call-up, which is expected. He is their number one keeper. Uh, Rekik, as I mentioned, called up for Tunisia's national team. And Henry Jeffcott, who has not been called up to this level yet for Northern Ireland, got called up to the under-21s. If you remember this summer, I mentioned that he was exciting to me. A very exciting player. Happy to see him getting this call-up to the Northern Ireland under-21s. Again, Ethan Nguyenary, the big news of the last couple weeks, going from making his under-21s debut at a 15-year-old to becoming the youngest player in Premier League history. We are going to continue to try and get him to stay at Hale End. I truly believe he loves the club. He loves working with Jack Wilshire. I know that. Arteta clearly sees a future for him and is playing his role in, in trusting in him. And we will see what happens there. We will see what happens over the next week on this international break before we return to a very hectic October for Arsenal and everybody in world football in preparation for the World Cup. Sorry again for missing a week. Had some things personally going on that needed to be dealt with. All good stuff. But we'll be back next week with some report on the players who are still representing their clubs during this international break and those representing their nations.